I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome to Hello. the official podcast of the Gibson Review. Each episode, we'll talk about our weekend review, move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion. In this episode, that will be our review of Wonder Woman. And we'll finish off with Film Faves, our list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, we'll be counting down our favorite movies of 2012. With that, let's dive right on in. Shanna, get us started with your week in review. My week in review involved watching Georgia O'Keeffe. And I believe you said that this was a Hallmark movie. No, no, maybe it was a Lifetime movie, actually. It was some sort of television movie. Um, so you can watch this for rent on Amazon. But I found it at Half Price Books for like a dollar. And that was very exciting. So what is it about? So this is a movie about the famous painter during the modern art period um, named Georgia O'Keeffe and her relationship with a pioneer in photography, Alfred Stiglitz. Played by Jeremy Irons and Joan Allen, right? Yes. So what I really loved about this film was when we got to hear Georgia O'Keeffe's voice. And Georgia O'Keeffe has a couple books, actually, that have her quotes in it about how she felt about her art, how she felt about the art making process, which is always really interesting to hear how these masters of art feel about the process of art making. Then we have Alfred Stiglitz in the movie and we have to deal with all his moods, all his paranoia and uh, what is it called when you think you're sick all the time? Oh, um, not hemophilia. Uh, I forget right now. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So he just, and he's the, unfortunately, he's the stereotypical version. There we go. So he's a hypochondriac, depressed, depressed. Uh, artist Um, and those three things are just not a good combination so if you ever wanted to know what the stereotype of an artist was you can go watch that movie and you can look at Alfred Stiglitz and unfortunately I did come across one of these when I was in art school and it's totally true but what I loved about the movie was Georgia O'Keeffe and I just wish that there was more Georgia O'Keeffe less them because they do end up getting married it's not a spoiler because it's life Um, (laughs) but isn't that an important part of who she was being married to that jerk well yeah i mean how long were they together i don't know and as far as i understand they never got divorced officially but she Mm. moved away from him because guess what Mm. he's a freaking psycho Mm. okay he mentally destroyed her all the time Mm. um so if you ever wanted to know what a draining relationship looked like if you ever were lacking an understanding of that, you can watch this. <laughs> if um, you're best friend or you haven't gone through it yourself, and, and you, you're very curious. You're curious as to like. how a person can stay in this kind of relationship. Go ahead and watch that. Sounds like fun. But what I really enjoyed was her art making process. And you do see her painting, which is, you know, why anyone would want to watch it. What is she famous for? She is famous for her paintings of close-ups of flowers and they're always compared to the feminine sexuality so the vagina (laughs) so 
that's what we have there. And it's also interesting to hear people critiquing her work. You hear that in the movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it's as if it's happening in real time. So that's what I have for Georgia O'Keeffe. And then... Just uh, one question. So it sounds like you you were kind of mixed on the movie. Did they not depict the relationship well? Was that one of your problems with it, or did you just was it just not? My problem was the movie title is Georgia O'Keeffe, yeah. so I expect to see more Georgia O'Keeffe than anything else, and unfortunately. I saw a little too much Alfred Stiglitz for my liking. And I know marriage was part of her life, but let's get real. The man was completely and totally unlikable uh, as a person, not as an actor. I think that, you know, everybody did a good job with that, but that's not a bad thing for them to depict. It sounds like they depicted this guy accurately. And it sounds like he was an important part of her life. What did he dominate the movie? Like, was there too many, like, too many scenes of just him and not Georgia? No, it was too much of them and not enough of her. Okay. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I just find it in, 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 interesting. But I don't know anything about her life, so maybe he was only a small part of it. No, I'm pretty sure he, like, tortured her through most of her life because he's an asshole. Uh, So, that's as bashing as I'm going to be about that film. (laughs) Okay. Moving on. I also got to watch Philomena, and that's available for streaming on Netflix. And if you ever want to learn about what happened in the Irish culture a couple decades ago when you got pregnant what that process looked like, how people dealt with it. Go ahead and watch that film. It's just an absolutely shocking story, and it's based on a true story. And they did a very good job of portraying that story and how it unfolded. So this is the movie starring Steve Coogan and Judy Dench. You say a couple decades ago, so is it set in the 80s, or when, when is it set? Oh gosh, I can't remember. Maybe it's like after the war. I can't remember now. Okay, so more like closer to the 50s then. Oh, just 40s. a couple. Okay. You know. What did you like about the movie? I really loved Judy Dench. Mm, I course. love her all the time. I think she's just an amazing actress. I forget that it's Judy Dench. I just see her character that she's playing, and I think that that's a really good quality for an actress to have. I did enjoy the story because Judy Dench's character is trying to find her son. She's trying to get peace with that part of her life, and it's quite a struggle to gain closure with what's going on there well like what what happened did she lose her son somehow or did they become a story as the story unfolds she had her she fell pregnant Mm. she didn't know what sex was and then she falls pregnant and she goes to the nuns and tells them nobody told me what sex was and what how babies were made and of course the poor woman gets shamed into it all being her fault and instead of being helped or taught skills to be independent and a good mother, what the nuns did is they kept the children in a separate room mm. and they were raised by other people. Mm. And the mothers were only allowed to see their children for one hour a day. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And then what would sometimes happen is people who didn't have children would come and they'd look at these children. 
and they'd adopt them. Oh, oh, okay. And when a woman gives birth, she signs a contract, and they don't know that they're signing this contract. They're in labor. They're in immense pain, and and that allows their nunnery to have the children to Basically do signing away yes, the, child the child's rights rights to the, the child. child yeah, yeah. Okay. interesting so that's what happened her child got adopted mm. and taken to america okay and she never knew how to find him and what happens is the nunnery sends them in circles like oh we don't know oh we can't help you oh it's in god's plan and mm. constant bullshit so it will get you a little angry, but it's a good story. Okay. And it has a fantastic ending. So that movie was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, if I remember correctly, uh, of that year. Uh, would you say that it was definitely one of the best movies of that year and, and deserved that kind of uh, adulation, for lack of a better term? I think it deserved it, yeah. Okay. I feel like it was very good storytelling. Okay. Very good. I haven't seen it, so I'm very curious. Cool. Uh, did you watch anything else? No, I think that's it. What about you? Well, Oh, I, here we go. I Jeff saw, went to the movies. Yes. And I saw Alien Covenant. Now... I'm very familiar with the Alien franchise. I've seen all of the Alien movies up to this point, including the tangential Alien vs. Predator movies, which I, I don't recommend uh, checking out. So I realized, even though I've heard very mixed things about Alien Covenant, I should just uh, I should see for myself what I think of the movie. You know, I've seen all everything else, so why not? Uh, Shanna, have you seen any of the Alien movies? Well, you showed me the first Alien movie with Sigourney Weaver. Okay. And then we saw Prometheus, and I thought Prometheus was just crap. Oh, yeah. And I was so upset because it had Charlize Theron in it, and I wanted it mm. to be awesome. And then I was okay with Alien. Yeah. You know, I, I like that they used a human in the Alien skin. Yeah, like a, a, a as a costume. Suit. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. mm -hmm. I, I think it added that element of scary to it. Sure, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I. So we we still have to see aliens. Uh, I have to still show you that because it's just as good, and kind of up to personal preference. Cause some people prefer aliens over alien. And you might too, because it's more of an action film. Do you want to list? So the, it's a lot of fun. Do you want to list the order of these movies? Because it's kind of confusing sure. when you say alien and then you I hear aliens and I'm like, okay. what the hell is going on? Sure, fair enough. In order of release, in the Alien franchise proper, you have Alien, Aliens, Alien Three, <laughs> Alien Resurrection, Prometheus, and now Alien Covenant. Okay, why did they go Alien, Aliens, Alien 3? That's so weird. Well, the what the first two, it makes sense because with Alien, it is okay, an it's Alien, one. right? Yeah. And then Aliens by James Cameron was suggesting, okay, well, the first one was just one, and now it's more. So it also suggested this <laughs> even bigger film, and it was. It, it was totally appropriate. And then Alien 3, because it's the third Alien movie. So, 
And then Alien Resurrection makes sense when you see the movie, why it's called Resurrection. And anyway, so Alien Covenant. It is a sequel to Prometheus, a prequel to the original Alien film. And this movie is a real mixed bag. I didn't come away hating it, but I had a lot of problems with the movie. Even the even the parts of the movie that I liked, I thought was problematic. So being a prequel to Alien and a uh, sequel to Prometheus, it's it's basically being two things at once rather than something that is a, a like a consistent storyline or what have you you know like a, a, a running line through mm-hmm. that goes for that connects the dots mm. or anything like that it has the philosophizing of prometheus and the gorgeous imagery along with the uh, straight simple thrills and horror movie aspects of the first film i actually feel like the second aspect of the film where it's just about alien creatures killing people is where the movie succeeds the best because you're getting back to what aliens should be really and what audiences enjoy most yes it is a little bit rote and by the numbers yes everybody's idea of survival mode is to go off on their own to take a piss or whatever, you know? <laughs> Just, like, the stupidest things that you know, you've seen in dozens, if not hundreds, of horror movies. Now I want to watch Cabin in the Woods. But, that, and that's really weird. But, <laughs> it, it that part worked for me enough where I was actually, like, my nerves were shaking after watching the movie. You know? It was thrilling just enough that aspect alone. However... All the major issues with this movie could be summed up with one word. And that word is David. If you've seen Prometheus, you know what I'm talking about. That character is back. Everything involved in that character gets progressively worse as it goes along. To the, to some serious spoiler territory I can't talk about right now, that really was awful. Really dumb, <laughs> bad stuff. I wish I could get in more detail about but. So my brother told me the whole timeline. He told me the whole, how the movie unfolds. because oh, Alien Covenant? Yes, because I told him I wasn't going to watch it, and he uh. really wanted to tell me what pissed him off. Oh, see, I wish and- I talked to him about this. <laughs> well, you should chat with him later. But that was really interesting. I can understand where you're coming from after hearing that. So do you so, think people should watch it? That's a hard one to answer. I gave it on, I did a, a mini review on Facebook. I gave it a 5 out of 10. I almost gave it a 6 out of 10, but even, like I said, even the good stuff was so problematic that I couldn't quite. I will say that I came away from the movie wondering, you know, Alien 3 has the reputation as being the worst of all the Alien films in the proper franchise. And I, can't, and I was left wondering, after watching Alien Covenant, is, is it? Really? <laughs> yeah, like, why is it so bad? So, 
I immediately rewatched Alien 3. And you know what? I will concede that if you if you're a fan of aliens as I am, uh, it is upsetting that they kill a major character from that movie in the beginning of Alien 3. I won't spoil or say who that is, honey, since you haven't seen Alien. Well, now yet. I'm really not interested. <laughs> well, I understand how some fans were upset about that. But you get past that and really the only thing that I see as a as a kind of a problem or an issue with Alien 3 is this was the first to CGI the alien. Okay. Now imagine 1992 CGI. It's like a little shaky. No, it just looks really fake. It looks like a graphic going across the screen a lot of the time. Well, yeah, that kind of shaky feel to it Mm. where it's kind of jittery very slightly. But if you're looking at it, you'll pick it up. Yeah, you'll have to see what I mean. It's just unless. Oh, not if it's not if it's scary. No, thank you. Well, uh, unless the alien is actually interacting with a person. It, it is basically a CGI creation going across the screen, and it looks like something from... I mean, it's not as bad as something from a Sega Genesis or anything like that, but, you know, you know, it looks... That is uh, really terrible. It doesn't, look, <laughs> it doesn't look great these days. That said, I think Alien 3 is actually not a terrible movie. It's a fairly straightforward, very, very lean thriller where it's getting back to just people being picked off uh, and everybody's trapped in a single location they can't escape they don't have any way of fighting off this this thing that's killing them it actually works it's serviceable it's not better than or as good as the movies that came before it but it's certainly not terrible so i enjoyed that and had less issues with it than alien covenant and also interesting all the alien movies, even the mediocre ones, they all have a cast of characters, right? And all those characters you get a good sense of. You can identify and care a little bit when people start getting picked off. You know, especially in the first two aliens, they build some sense of camaraderie, a sense of who these people are. Alien 3 manages that to a slightly lesser extent, but to an extent nonetheless. Alien Covenant? You have all these different characters, and I think they're supposed to all be married to each other, like married couples, but it doesn't take its time developing who these people are and giving you a a good sense of the relationships and the dynamics. So... There's really only a small handful of characters, i.e. stars, that you actually can recognize and have any sense of concern over their survival. So that's another way that Alien Covenant falls short on, that even Alien 3 kind of rises above. So So the moral of the story is don't get on a ship. Well... Don't answer distress calls, for one thing, especially if you're a colonizer. Are they even, like, they're not even rescuers. They're not even, no. like, firefighters or police or... 
No, an alien covenant, they're actually, uh, it's a colony ship. They have thousands of people and embryos that are meant to go to a specific planet. I know what we'll do. I know, I know. We'll kill all the embryos by answering this distress call. That's what we'll do. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. No hope for humanity. We're all freaking screwed. And they end up, the planet, by the way, it's, it's, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, the planet ends up being the planet from Prometheus where the engineers, I think they're called, came from. So anyway, and in, in the original Alien, they were basically like space truckers, essentially. They're like blue-collar workers who answered a distress call. Okay, so we got it down. Don't get on a spaceship and don't answer distress calls. There you go. Leave it up to the authorities. <laughs> okay, guys, go. don't go, go and be vigilantes. You're just going to die. No matter what the cor- corporation says. Anyway. <laughs> so, yes, that's what I watched uh, in this week. That about wraps up our week in review. Let's move on to Wonder Woman. Our review of Wonder Woman. What is your mission? To stop the war. What war? The war to end all wars. Weapons far deadlier than you can ever imagine. The war can be ours. Wherever you are, you are in more danger than you think. I cannot stand by while innocent lives are lost. Be careful, Diana. Who is this woman? She's my um, secretary, sir. She's a very good secretary. It is our sacred duty to defend the world. And it's what I'm going to do. How can a woman possibly fight in this fight? We use our principles, although I am not opposed to engaging in a bit of fisticuffs should the occasion arise. That was from the trailer of the new movie, Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot and Chris Pine. You know, the guy from Star Trek, Captain Kirk, who's a captain in this film. (laughs) Yes. It's like his great, 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 great grandfather. Twice (laughs) removed. (laughs) So I thought we would start by talking a little bit first about our familiarity with Wonder Woman. Oh, I'll go first. Okay. So I didn't really know who Wonder Woman was until I was about 17. And the only way I found out about her was through a TV show that made a reference to her. The TV show was Bones. And it was an episode where Dr. Brennan was going to dress up on Halloween. And apparently every year she dresses up as Wonder Woman because she looks exactly like the woman who played... Uh, Wonder Woman in the TV show. Linda Carter. Yeah. She looks exactly like her. It's super crazy. Huh. And I thought to myself, who the hell is this person? And I looked it up and I discovered who she was. And then I found that movie, that animated movie of Wonder Woman. Oh, 2009's Wonder Woman. Uh, with Kira Sedgwick. Yeah, DC's direct-to-video with uh, Carrie Russell as Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And Nathan Fillion as Steve Trevor. Yeah, and I think Kira Sedgwick was Wonder Woman's mother. Okay. 
Hippolyta. Yes. So that was my exposure to Wonder Woman. And then when I came to America, I realized how many comics were out there, how many books about her there were, mm. how many simply collections of Wonder Woman comic covers. You mean like memorabilia? Yeah, and memorabilia. And I have a backpack with Wonder Woman mm. on it now. So that was really exciting because, uh, you know, growing up, I just thought there were X-Men and then there were Batman characters. And there isn't really a heroine in Batman, really. I mean, there's... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's Batman's story. Yeah, it's Batman's story. Yeah. So I didn't know there was a heroine story. So that was very exciting to discover Wonder Woman. And then, of, and then of course, you know, meeting you, I get to learn more. Mm-hmm. So, what was your exposure to Wonder Woman? Well, obviously, a lot different than yours growing up in the states, uh, which I, which is interesting in and of itself. You know, we had the TV show that predated me by a few years, but was still would still pop up in pop culture uh, consciousness and be in syndication on TV and things like that. So I uh, definitely was familiar with that TV show. Definitely had a crush on her for a little bit. I was, I think she was in a couple of the cartoons in the seventies and eighties, but what, she would just appear. No, I mean, I think she was a part of the cast of characters. Oh, okay. Like super friends and things like that. And then, you know, I didn't see much of her outside of when I was collecting comics uh, growing up. I would see the covers and stuff like that at the comic shops, but I never collected Wonder Woman. It, and it wasn't until my adult years that I actually started collecting Wonder Woman because, first of all, there's an artist named Adam Hughes who did a spectacular run of covers for Wonder Woman. And. In that, inside those covers, of course, was a run by Greg Rucka, which I think ran for like 24 issues. And I really dug that run because it seemed to me that everybody else who had, who had tried taking a crack at Wonder Woman really kind of captured only one aspect of her and made that who she was. Most famously, Frank Miller did a very aggressive Amazon warrior version of her where she's very violent. Is that where they pillage? No, no, no. You're thinking of Brian Azzarello, which is way more recent. Yeah, that person should just die and go to hell. Well, that's that's not very nice. Brian Azzarello is a talented writer, but I... To clarify, Shanna's referring to a reboot in the comics where we learn that the Amazons of Themyscira actually would raid towns outside the island and rape men and there was actually like boys that would be born but I think they were sent away. I can't remember the exact details. But also... It said it said that Wonder Woman, rather than being uh, kind of molded from clay and given all these gifts from the gods uh, and really coming from 
Hippolyta, a female, and I want to say Aphrodite, but I could be remembering wrong. Another female uh, goddess type character, basically coming from women. Brian Azzarello made it actually that she was a product of rape by Zeus. And that's where we stop. Right. That's why I feel so strongly. So getting back to the good one. Yes. Greg Rucka, as I was saying, most people focus on one aspect. Greg Rucka was the first one I feel, especially after reading a history of Wonder Woman, who really made Wonder Woman more complex. There's different facets to her. Yes, she is an Amazonian. She has been raised to fight and fight well. Yes, she is born of, of clay and bestowed upon all these gifts. So she is slightly different. She's, she is super powered in, in some ways. So she's tougher. She's stronger. But she's also incredibly gorgeous. Uh, to the point where when people enter the room with her, no matter if they have the intentions of taking things in their own hands, they end up just immediately melting at the sight of her and, and getting you know their knees weak. But also she's an incredibly, she's not egotistical. She's not arrogant. She's a compassionate person. She is a very intelligent person. And he also leans heavily on the fact that you know, her, she has this mission from Themyscira to, to help the world of men, which makes her an ambassador. So he really leans on this political aspect of her, too, which was really intriguing and really cool and very interesting, made for very interesting stories. So it's a little bit more of an interesting dynamic take on Wonder Woman and I really loved that version the most and I figured that it was actually really tough to try to capture Wonder Woman well on screen because you try to capture as many of these aspects as, as possible and very few actresses I felt could actually pull that off believably. So, and of course, I, I also have, aside from that comic run, I have familiarity with all the different iterations of uh, failed attempts at Wonder Woman coming back on the screen with the Adrian Palicki TV pilot for CW and the Joss Whedon film that he couldn't get off the ground. Wait, so, Joss Whedon was going to do one? Yeah, 10 years oh. ago. Joss Whedon was really trying hard to take a crack at it and... He had eventually eventually give up because he couldn't come to common ground with the studio. Ridiculously. So he went off and did the Avengers later on. That's so stupid. I bet they yeah. feel really stupid. Yeah, well, they should on, until now. I'm really grateful that Patty, Patty Jenkins had a chance to, to direct this film. Yeah. She probably brought in a different touch that Joss Whedon would have and it probably added a lot more to the story of this film. That's for sure. So anyway, I think that that's about that pretty much encapsulates where I come from and my familiarity. I'm, I'm very familiar with the character. So let's talk about uh, the film. Every time we review a film, we like to first talk about what we liked about a movie. 
and then move on to what was bad about a movie, what we didn't like. And then spoilers. And then spoilers and final thoughts for our film. So let's start with probably the most, uh, probably the longest section in this review. What we liked about this movie. Shanna, share with us what was good about Wonder Woman. I really loved that they showed Wonder Woman as a young girl at first in the film. That was really great because not only does it attract your inner child, it also attracts your children into believing that I can be a Wonder Woman, we're all Wonder Woman, you're a Wonder Woman, I'm a Wonder Woman. So I felt that was very important. <laughs> I felt that that was very important. Sound like Oprah. You're a Woman! <laughs> Everybody's getting a Wonder Woman. <laughs> but, but it's true. The, the shot you see in the trailer of the little girl staring at the sword that's called the God Killer, and she's just looking determined at it. I, I definitely see... I could see a lot of women looking at that scene and... Just getting really excited and, and relating in some ways to that. Well, through most of the film, I actually wanted to cry mm. because I was like, oh, my God, this is who I want to be. This is encapsulating every good part of every woman. This is who I want to see all around me. That was really important that they did that. I also really loved, really, I cannot tell you how much I loved it, but just so pleased that Every woman looked like they belonged on that freaking island. Mm. Everybody was fit. Everybody had shoulders. Everybody had muscles. You know, everybody could move so beautifully and so elegantly, but with so much strength and confidence. It's like the casting crew went into CrossFit gyms <laughs> and said, hey, we need, we need Amazonians. And I love that there was women of different color. I love that there were white women. There were black women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice anything in between. Did you notice any other cultures being referenced? I'll tell you what I did notice. I did notice that there were women of different races and ethnicities there, mm -hmm. so to speak. And that really stood out to me and really impressed me. Mm -hmm. I really thought that that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And was really great. It made a lot of sense for Themyscira. You know, it didn't make sense for anything outside of Themyscira, given the time that the movie is taking place. Because it's taking place a hundred years ago. So it is a very white-dominated time period, right? So it does make sense that Themyscira is a counterpoint. Well, I to guess that. where the film was happening, if you went to Africa or something, it would be a totally different. Well, yeah, Bob. World War One is what it focuses on. So, yeah, Germany, London, very white-dominated. So I was very excited yeah. to see the different cultures and ethnicities of women and how they were getting along, how these women were getting along yeah, was yeah. very important too and how they were, you know, there for each other, backing each other up, building each other up. Mm -hmm. Not that many of them needed it because they were coming from such a supportive community. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very fantasy filling you know as a woman you want to only be around women that are going to build you up and that you can build up and so that was very exciting i also really enjoyed how she 
develops in her confidence. She's figuring herself out and it's really interesting to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And I also love how she enters the human world. I think that her curiosity and her absolute absurdness on her face is hilarious when she gets told that women can't be in that room oh yeah right um, running into sexism for the first time yes with all the politicians yeah. and she's kind of like I, her face is just amazing it's kind of just completely flabbergasted and like yeah. really like what why not seriously yeah. yeah and i loved um the hilarity of her trying on these stupid victorian outfits if you've ever tried a Victorian female outfit on before, which I have, you will understand exactly how pathetically stupid and unfunctional those clothes were. I mean, velvet might have looked really pretty, but to move in? Are you serious? Well, and that's so. the lens that she's looking through everything is how, mm -hmm. how do I fight in this? How do I move in, in this? Well, she's looking at it from a very practical standpoint because that's what she knows mm -hmm. like her wardrobe that she grew up with was all about practicality right and that's the opposite of what the, the victorian is of that era time, right oh like controlling yeah. women and constricting them so also if you've ever had a little girl and she puts on the wrong pair of tights you can't relate to this but i can no, and I definitely can't. <laughs> all freaking hell breaks loose because it's not fitting nicely. And it just reminded me of that, watching that. And okay. I just, I thought that that was quite well done. So all that's right. what I enjoyed. What did you enjoy? That's, that's all you enjoyed about Oh, the I'm sure I enjoyed more and I'll agree with you as it comes up. I love the, Okay. I think I'm going to get into spoilers actually. Okay. All right. Well, being quite familiar with the character Wonder Woman having certain expectations that I was skeptical about with this film yet also feeling like Wonder Woman was the single highlight of the Batman v Superman film I do not feel like this movie disappoints it is really impressive and how well Gal Gadot is able to capture all the different aspects of Wonder Woman. No, she's not capturing everything that I mentioned before in the Drag Rucka version but the movie's not trying to do that either. It does, however make her more than just a tough girl. Make her more than just someone who looks good. You know, she she is all these other different aspects, and that's really impressive. And Gal Gadot does a great job of carrying the movie. Yes, also, I do agree with you. I thought she was a great choice. Yeah, yeah, and it's really surprising because for me, my previous familiarity with her was really just the Fast and Furious movies, and she was a supporting character for two or three of those films. So, you know. I really wasn't sure that from that alone I could tell that she would be she would be what she ends up being in this film, you know. Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, does the character justice. He 
is not someone for that's simply there for Diana to just fall in love with or become enamored with. He is her first exposure to man and man's world. And he is complicated. He's funny. He's, you could tell he has a sweetness to him. Is he really complicated? How is he complicated? Look at every scene when he's trying to explain to Wonder Woman that things aren't as simple as, as she thinks they are. Okay. Uh, regarding war and battle and things. And he's a spy, too, in this movie. So he's, he's by definition, a gray area. And so, yeah, he, he, he was done very well and probably the best version of that character that could possibly be. So I really liked him in the film and he doesn't dominate. Chris Pine is a, is a very subtle but very good actor. He's able to recognize this is not my show. This is all about her. And I am here in the scene to support her or provide XYZ purpose for her story. Oh, I guess you have a really good point. I had listened to a podcast where they talked about how certain people actually steal the limelight from other characters. Mm. And I guess you have a really good point. I was also really struck by how period accurate this movie is. Really? And I referenced it a couple minutes ago. Uh, Themyscira, with all its its feminism and diversity, diversity, it is a cultural counterpoint. Oh, and women in leadership roles. Yeah, yeah, it's a cultural counterpoint to what our world actually was at that time, and it's really interesting because a lot of movies like this that are set in another period they will try to inject modern day sensibilities in a character that is very anachronistic and doesn't make sense i found that that wasn't the case with this movie and i was very surprised and impressed by that you know women as much as men are very much put off by how different diana is she is this she is very much a fish out of water here she stands out and that was really cool and there's a lot of other period details that i was very surprised and impressed by this movie does not gloss over things really even regarding the war it doesn't gloss over the realities of war either which is very surprising for a superhero film i you know, I'm not even sure that Captain America the First Avenger really handled the realities of war to the degree that this film did, you know? So that was really impressive. And I'll point out just two or three other things really quickly. First of all, the score in this film... Oh, yes, I did like that. ...is, is really cool. The theme in particular... We have moved away for the most part from superhero themes. I think the Avengers and maybe one or two other movies have a superhero theme in recent years, the past 10 years. Uh, But this movie 
has a really great theme that like just mentioning it i have it in my head the guitar riff and everything that's really cool i really dug it and i'm not familiar with the composer's work but i am interested in learning more about what else this guy has done also the action choreography is spectacular in this film you see things that you have seen before done in ways you haven't seen before especially on the island of Themyscira. Mm. Because as you mentioned, the women, they have a way, they have a movement to them that is, that is elegant and balletic. It's graceful. It, it is amazing. It's really flipping cool. They're not being taught how to move like men. They're being taught how to move as themselves. Well, there you go. So I think that that's really important to note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then, of course, overall, the direction by Patty Jenkins is really something. Now, Patty Jenkins, I know she's done a lot of TV work, and I'm not familiar with her TV work so much. But previously, she did the 2003 film Monster, starring Charlize Theron and Christina Ritchie. If you really need to, like, detox some tears out of your system, <laughs> if you really need to, like be enraged go ahead and watch that go ahead let me know how you think yeah it i mean is. it's not the it's not the completely unpleasant experience that some people make it out to be but oh come on it's pretty unpleasant but my point is this is not a movie that you look at and think yeah yeah this is this is a director that should do a superhero movie <laughs> you know yeah the the leap from that is is quite spectacular so what she's achieved here, the the confidence, the uh, the assuredness uh, that she's able to accomplish with this film is really something. I'm speaking as in regards to a filmmaker who only made one film a decade and a half ago, you know, and that film was a serious, just straight up based on real life drama, you know. So Wonder Woman is very, very different from that film, and it is quite impressive. All right, we've gushed over this movie. Now let's talk a little bit about what didn't work for us about Wonder Woman. And I, I trust this will be a short segment, but go ahead, uh, start us off. Was there anything that bothered you? It's just minor things that I'm picking up on. We had mentioned how there was diversity on Themyscira. What I would have liked to have seen was more women of color at the forefront. You always see a lot of white women, and then in the background you'll see the black woman or the Asian woman or whoever. Oh, you're talking about like you would have liked just some in camera frame major characters. Yes, that would have oh, been okay. good. In the comic book that I had picked up. It's actually an African woman that's teaching Diana how to fight. Okay. So mm -hmm. I, I get that in this film. It's As opposed to Robin Pen uh, Robin, Robin Wright. Wright. You know, I get it because it's the aunt. But at the same time, I really liked that dynamic. I really liked seeing that. Mm. But it's just a minor thing. It's important, though, to mention for next time. That we have more women of diversity at the front of the camera, not in the background. Hmm. Anything else? Yes. I was a bit skeptical of when we first see Chris Pine's character, 
landing on Themyscira's beach. And when the Germans come through and they start shooting, how he... is kind of in the trailer a little bit. Yes. Not to spoil the film, yeah. He grabs her hand and she lets him. And I just thought of Star Wars Force Awakens when Finn tries to grab Rey's hand and she's like, what are you doing? And I really liked that because you didn't see that. And then we had this one. So it was just a little, just a little thing. Um, although on the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. Okay. And I guess that's it for now because really? of spoilers. Okay. okay so. so you have more issues when we get into spoilers. Just a little bit. Okay. All right. So for me, I, I do have one thing that we'll talk about in the spoiler section that is probably the most significant thing for me, I think, that, that bothered me. I know what you're but talking a couple, about. But a couple small things. I felt like some of the CGI shots throughout the movie looked CGI more than, more than real. Like, they looked fake. They looked like you were watching a composite image or, or a, a, an image where someone's like, put into a computer graphic or something like that yeah and and that's that's i don't think that's the case on the whole but i think there's a few shots where the 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 effects the visual effects don't quite work it's like it's a little too shiny and wonder woman isn't a shiny superheroine you know well i I don't know if i would argue she's not shiny like her feel isn't shiny her feel is realistic because she's birthed out of this need for someone to fulfill something that wasn't being fulfilled okay. during her time that she was created. So I feel like her having the shiny treatment isn't the best thing. Hmm. It's not the best decision. I definitely don't come at it on that angle. Because I also don't think Wonder Woman's a gritty character. No, she's but, kind of in between. Yeah, I just felt like some of the shots were not very polished. That's that's fairly minor. I mean, if that was the only major issue of the whole movie, uh, then we'd be sitting quite pretty. The only other issue I'll mention now is the third act. And actually, this is kind of related. The third act's sort of feels like a little too much of a cgi explosion going on for about 10 15 minutes well they are gods so well and i don't i don't want to give away what what's going on in these scenes but i'm reminded of the criticism that was thrown at 2008's incredible hulk where you have abomination and hulk basically fighting and clashing and beating each other up through the streets and through the buildings and such. And a lot of people criticize that film as basically just being a big PS2 video game at the, at the very end. I feel like the same criticism in some ways could be thrown at this film where it doesn't feel real enough it doesn't have like the tangibility to really fully engage in everything that's happening 
I think other people feel this strongly than I do, but I do think it is a criticism that is uh, that has some validity and is worth pointing out. That said, it's not something that ruined the movie for me. And and again, I think it says something that that Shannon and I can spend 10 minutes or so talking about what we liked about the movie and really only have a couple a couple things. So Let's um. Uh, let's any, well, let's get into spoilers. Well, I was gonna say for the people who haven't seen the movie and they need to jump ahead, is, do you have any other general thoughts you want to share about the film? No, I think everyone should go watch it. Everyone should go see it. Would you say it's good for kids? I haven't really I thought about that yet. Up. Okay. I would say ten, a solid ten and up. Did Logan go with us? Yes. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Yes, he is ten. Uh, for those who don't know. So I give the film a 7 out of 10, I believe, on the Facebook review. It's definitely worth checking out. It's the best DC movie. It's Wait, a, I'm sorry. How much did you give it? A 7 out of 10. Why, why is... Okay, go read it, guys. <laughs> so I feel like it, it shows what superheroes are supposed to be. And that's really important, especially with regard to the DC movies, where everything's been really dark and laborious and serious. Serious. So go see Wonder Woman. If you have seen it already, we you can stick around for spoilers. Otherwise, skip to film faves right now. Welcome to Wonder Woman spoilers, finally. It's <laughs> been really anxious to talk about the spoilers in this movie. All right, then why don't you start us off? Fire away. What is it you wanted to, to say? I really wanted to discuss Wonder Woman's power and how fantastic it was that it was love. Oh, uh, okay. I just was so thrilled that that happened. There's such a huge movement in the female culture of rediscovering their own inner power and self-realization and it's always centered through all these different authors that I've read and all these different movies I've seen that talk about it it always centers around a woman's ability to love 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 it's super powerful and it allows women to do just about anything and I know that sounds a little woo-woo but if you're into woo-woo and you know what I'm talking about then you're probably freaking out too on the other side well I could see how some people would find that problematic because then you're saying that her powers are reliant on her feelings for a man. No. Okay, so... That's not what I'm saying. Counter that argument. Her ability to forgive, her ability to move forward, her ability to take what she did experience, and it's not just her love for Captain Kirk. Steve Trevor. (laughs) It's not just about that and it's not just about the love for her family it's not about the love only for her community or how much she loves humanity it's like all of that encompassed together it's not just a single thing it never is a single thing with woman and you know that it's never just but point in the a movie, it comes across as a single thing now look, this is something that didn't bother me. I'm sorry. Me. I'm sorry. I don't agree with you. This is one not something that bit. bothered me. I I I I thought it worked. Uh, it was it was fine, but 
there is the interpretation there. And this is where it gets really complicated with Wonder Woman anytime she has a relationship at all. Because it, you could get into this really uh, muddy feminist waters. And so people can interpret what happens in the, in the scene where Steve Trevor dies and she realizes that he was telling her that that she that he loves her and stuff and then all of a sudden he has she has this power of love i'm not talking about the love that he said i love you i'm talking about the love that she discovered within herself and by the way that freed her from the big by the way feminists are allowed to have relationships filled with love too and it can involve a man or a female or whatever yeah yeah of course i'm Mm. i'm not reflecting my thoughts and my opinions i'm reflecting um, other criticisms I have heard okay. about the character in general and and also about this particular scene that can be interpreted. So I'm curious, like, how, what... So was I just leading out too much anger there and not enough counterpoint? <laughs> I'm well, just Well, I just checking. want to make sure that you don't you don't get confused. This is not my, my perspective. And don't, don't take it as my perspective. It certainly sounds like it's your perspective. No. Looking at your face, it looks like your perspective. No, I'm just, I'm just pointing out. Look. With what happens in the movie, she realizes what he was saying. She realizes her feelings for him. She watches him blow up. Then she's able to free herself. Right? So... With with the that outline of events that happen in the movie, tell me how someone is wrong in thinking that her love doesn't come from when, love for straight Steve. Look, when I don't know if it's the same for men, who knows? But for a woman, as I am one, in my experience of being a woman, when you go through something painful. Something new is awoken in you. Something grows from it. And you're either going to go in a positive, loving direction or you're going to go in a negative, depressing, shitty direction. And you can go and apply it to other superheroes' stories. You can apply it to Spider-Man. I know we're talking about a different universe, but it doesn't matter. It's the model of a superhero. So that's what I have to say about people that are like, oh, but she has a boyfriend and it's just taking it down to the boyfriend. And it's not just about the boyfriend. It's about what she felt, not specifically for the first man in her life, the first love in her life. And I love that they brought that power that stemmed from love. If it had stemmed from hate, she would have just been like, the God of War. Mm. So you have this wonderful observation and experimentation of you have to choose what you're going to do. And Wonder Woman chose correctly for the good of everyone and herself included around her. And the God of War, being who he is, did not choose correctly. And he ended okay. up being Ash, I think, wasn't it? That part's a little unclear to me. But was there anything else that bothered you about the movie? In that you can talk about in spoilers or any other spoiler talk that you want to talk about. I didn't like uh, the casting for God of War. Okay. Now you're now now we're on my page. (laughs) That was my biggest issue. I'm familiar with I'm I'm familiar with Ares and God of War from the comics and 
The version I've seen is when he's not in this really masculine, intimidating armor, he looks like a handsome 30-something cocky guy, you know? And instead, and, and the movie, oddly enough, tries to bait and switch you in ways they that really I don't do. think fully work. Because they try to make you think that Danny Houston is actually Ares. And Danny Houston, he's no young guy either, you know? And I, and I don't know that that would have been all that convincing. But you end up learning that David Thewlis, who was like a British officer or something like that, this kind of distinguished middle-aged guy, is actually, hey, um, I want to say Hades, is actually Ares, Ares in disguise. And, you know, some people might know David Thewlis, by the way, as Professor Lupin from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. But that is, you know, you don't think middle-aged, scrawny British guy when you think Ares, god of war. So that really bothered no, me. I think Greek, I even think Italian, you know, something really suave about Maybe him. Younger, even? You know, you could even give me a 40-year-old Italian and I'd be cool, you know. Be fine yeah, I, I guess it all depends on on how they look, but I just thought that that casting was really odd, and it kind of it kind of took me out of the forward momentum of the third act, where instead of instead of like really being engaged in what's happening, I'm thinking, really, him? Yeah. You just mentioned that he played Professor Lupin. I think even if he had done something else previously, I would have been still felt the same. Yeah. Cuz it's not about what he what he's played before. It's about his presence. Yeah, there you wasn't know? much his presence physical there. Presence. What he looks like, you know, doesn't make it believable. And that's unfortunate because Ares is one of Wonder Woman's most significant villains. Wonder Woman, unfortunately, does not have a great cast of villains. In fact, most people can't even name a single villain of Wonder Woman's, unlike Batman, Spider-Man, Superman's, you know. You are only able to name one. Cheetah. Cheetah, right. Yeah. Who may or may not be in the sequel that Patty uh, Jenkins is, is... Yeah, I don't want anyone else touching that. It should just be Patty. <laughs> Patty oh, will do it right. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm almost 100% confident it's going to be Patty Jenkins that does the sequel. But anyway, okay. so that was my biggest issue with the movie, and it's, it's what kept the movie from being a excellent film. Really. I mean, if, if the only issues with the movie was... A, a few bad CGI shots that would be remarkable do you have any final thoughts about the movie? no I think I'm good you think you're good? Okay. yeah <laughs> yeah so regardless despite these uh, despite these issues it is a very good film and it's one of the best superhero films in recent years and definitely the best female fronted superhero film ever made yeah could we have some more of those please i would love to see that because that would be great all right with that let's move on to our next section film faves so for those who don't know 
Film faves is where we count down our 12 favorite movies about a particular topic or year. Typically, we march back in time through year-by-year year countdown, and we share our respective lists from each year of our favorites. In this case, however, we found that we had at least a 75% overlap in our favorite movies of 2012. So we How's decided, that for hashtag marriage goals? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to make a combined list of our favorite films of 2012. Now, also, one of, the, one of the things we try to do with Film Phase is we try to point you in the direction of where to find these movies to stream. You can find almost every single movie available to rent on Amazon, but we try to focus on the streaming services Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now. So if there's a movie that's currently available on one of those streaming services, we'll point that out to you. And hopefully along the way we'll come across a couple movies that you have yet to see. Go ahead and start us off at number 12. All right, number 12 is Skyfall, the James Bond film, which was the third Daniel Craig James Bond film with the wonderful theme song by Adele, one of the best James Bond themes ever made. This was a huge relief after the disappointment of the forgettable Quantum of Solace. That <laughs> forgettable. <laughs> Honestly, I can't remember much from that movie other than the fact that it existed and it took place immediately after Casino Royale. Skyfall also is the film that helps complete the journey of James Bond being the agent that we have known all these years. So these were prequels. Well, kind of. Basically, Casino Royale kind of reset the series in a way. Oh, we've done a reset now. Yeah. Oh, Have you not seen Casino Royale? I mean, yeah, I just didn't understand the concept that they were going through. Okay, okay. Well, I grew up with the James Bond films. I've seen the entire series, so I was able to definitely catch on to what, what was going on there. It also does a really great job of subverting the Bond girl concept. Uh, in a surprising way that I won't spoil if you haven't seen it, which I don't think, Shanna, you have. Seen Skyfall? Yeah. Yes, I have. You have seen it. That's Yes. Right. Okay, very good. It's got Christoph Waltz in it too, right? No, that's Spectre. That's the one oh. that came after. That wasn't that great. Oh, wait. I remember it now. Yes. yes. Javier Bardem plays the very villain. Good. And is probably the best villain we've had in a James Bond movie since, I don't know, Goldeneye? Oh, I loved Goldeneye. Yeah. That was my first one. Ah, awesome. Yeah. That was a great one to start with. Anyway, so Skyfall okay. is our number 12 favorite. Number 11, Shannon. Is Two Days in New York. This is a film about a French woman who is in a relationship with an African-American in New York. It's played by... Julie Delpy, who also directed, and Chris Rock. Okay. And they're such a great combo i really enjoyed watching them they were just fabulous and anyway in this film her family from france is coming to visit and if you are in a marriage where one of you is from a different culture you will totally enjoy this film because and if you were ever curious about how that dynamic works I related to everything that was going on here. Oh, really? Yes. I warned my parents within an inch of their lives, do not bring 
bilton, a dried meat that is not, it's forbidden to bring, it's forbidden for it to leave the country. And in this film, the dad loads up with dried meat yeah, in his and things. yeah and it was just hilarious and he gets stuck in customs for like how many six oh, hours god i can yeah. relate to that too That's waiting funny. for your parents the flight was supposed to arrive at 2 30 and they get out of customs at five and yeah. i'm like seriously <laughs> so and chris rock is one of the best at reaction shots oh he was really great and at this time obama is still president so he has this obama cardboard cutout in his room and he's like having conversations with obama about these (laughs) issues with his family visiting so it's just really great um lots of hilarity it's it's quite a feel-good movie and also she's an artist in this film Um. and she puts her soul up for auction so really fun stuff happens so i highly recommend that one yeah that was an enjoyable one our number 10 is zero dark 30 by Catherine bigelow this was her follow-up to 2009's the hurt locker about the hunt for osama bin laden and i think uh, she co-wrote it with mark bull as she did with the hurt locker this was an exceptional film one would think that it would it would be one would expect it to be exploitive and it is every bit the opposite of that jessica chastain plays uh, the uh, woman who is leading the charge leading the investigation and the hunt for osama bin laden in fact while they're developing the script for the film uh, bin laden had yet to actually been found so the resolution of real life events actually took place during the development of the film. That's really exciting. So they had to adapt the film to show that resolution. But most interesting about the movie is a really great examination of obsession. When you have finally reached your goal of what you are trying, what you're going after, what next? What? Who are you after that? It examines more the obsession of the goal and it leaves us with a, a final grace note that leaves us with that question of what are we what are we to do now and it was quite something and a really riveting on the edge of your seat thriller too at times uh we both really loved it and i think we we both agreed it probably should have won the best picture award that year i think it, it got beat by argo Ben Affleck's film, which we both really enjoyed too. Anyway, honey, what is our number nine film? Our number nine is Wreck-It Ralph. And this is by Disney and it was a really fun film. It's essentially taking place in a video game world. All these arcade games are somehow able to communicate with each other at a headquarters Or like like, a bus terminal. Yeah, it's like a train terminal. Yeah, and you could kind of say like there's different terminals or rooms that lead to the different video games where they belong. It's almost like the Toy Story of video games. Yes. What are these characters doing when you walked away from the game system? So that's really fun. And everybody has parties afterwards and 
like the characters that are from the essential halo are like oh, they yeah, go right. out for for beers or it's not really <laughs> beers it's it must be like cola or something because it's disney but it's really fun watching them like hang loose you know and how they're programmed to know their story and how they continue with their life mm-hmm. i just i found the character the female leader from halo yeah, Ish. wasn't that was Jane really Lynch, good. Though? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. And, and this also surprising about that movie is they made the the original characters almost as or if not equally as interesting as the the existing video game characters. Yeah. So it was really cool seeing this contrast between new characters, characters that are slightly referenced to other games. And then you had someone like Sonic the Hedgehog in the background mm-hmm. and Pac-Man yeah. and Cubert. Yeah. So that was really fun to see. Really colorful and awesome. Yeah, definitely. Number eight is Moonrise Kingdom by Wes Anderson. You know, a lot of people love Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums, but I really felt like Wes Anderson didn't really get, start getting good as a film director until 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, that was so good. It was, and I was very impressed and quite enjoyed that film. Moonrise Kingdom is what followed, I believe, after that. And it's basically about two adolescents who have this very odd pen pal relationship that ends up becoming an actual relationship, and they run away from home. And you have this Boy Scout type troop that's trying to find them as well as the parents. And it stars, it has an amazing cast. It's Bruce Willis, Francis McDormand, Edward Norton, even Tilda Swinton, I think, makes an appearance in it. It's it's really quirky, but a lot of fun and really sweet. It's very, the, the production design in it is really unique. I don't, I don't think it's overly ironic like a lot of Wes Anderson films could be. Uh, it's Yeah, it's really enjoyable. Did you have anything you wanted to add to it? No, I really thought it was really funny. And yeah. I thought the young couple was a calmer version of something that you sometimes fantasize about when you're like a teen, a mm. young teen. Like, I'm just going to run away and I'm going to live with this guy and everything will be fine. <laughs> And so it was just really interesting seeing that. Yeah, too. and I actually would love to see those two uh, respectively in other films. I don't know if they have. All right, our number seven is Life of Pa, and that's a film that's really quite good to go into if you know very little about it. Yeah, definitely. But essentially it's a journey. Mm-hmm. And this journey involves fantastic visual effects it's one of those movies that jeff says that we're not going to watch at home because it's really best enjoyed as a 3d film well i'm not going to you may but i probably will for me i will never get to experience again the experience i had in the theater seeing it in 3d with all the visual effects the the visuals are some of the best visuals you'll see all decades. I don't think I've seen anything that comes close to that. Yeah, it is an absolutely gorgeous film. And there's no way that you can recapture that that experience in at home. 
It's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful story. I uh, love the film so much. And the uh, the tiger effects are It was really very well done. Stunning. I don't think that that's going to look aged anytime soon. I should... So they did a really good job. A number six film is 21 Jump Street. The brilliant adaptation of the 1980s TV series starring Johnny Depp about cops who pretend to be teenagers in high school in order to catch drug dealers. This is a brilliant send-up of not only the original TV series, but also buddy cop movies. It's hilarious. Brilliant. Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill are both great comedic actors. I think this is one of the first movies to really sell me on Channing Tatum. The the wonderfulness that is Channing Tatum. It's a hilarious film. Do you have anything you'd like to say about the about the film? I have to say that I had no idea what this film was about going into it. No way. I had no clue. And I just thought it was going to be a stupid, stupid film. And we get <laughs> in there and we just couldn't stop laughing. It was fantastic. Yeah. Highly recommend it. So I, and I think it is our favorite comedy of 2012. Yes. Honey, tell us about number five. Okay, number five is Searching for Sugar Man. And this is a documentary film. Best, and this is the second time I'm going to say this in our list, but best that you don't know anything going into it. Definitely. The way, though, that they create this documentary film is really unique. I felt they incorporate graphics, they incorporate illustration, they are doing creative things with revealing information about the subject. What you do need to know is that it's about a musician that didn't do so well in America, but somehow his music got to South Africa and everybody freaking loved him and he did so well there. And then all of a sudden, you know, South Africa thought he was dead. So go ahead and check that one out. I believe you can rent it from Netflix or anywhere else. And actually, we forgot to mention Two Days in New York is also available on Netflix. And I think Moonrise Kingdom is also available. Both for streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Searching for Sergaman. If you are a fan of Rock Docs, if you're a music fan at all, you definitely need to see this film. You definitely need to see this film. This guy was apparently up there with Bob Dylan in terms of talent. And you will probably end up wanting to buy the soundtrack after Which is totally a good investment. It's amazing. Also, if you were curious about how South African apartheid affected the media, this this is a good one to check out. Definitely. So, honey, go ahead and introduce number four for us. It is Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained, starring Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz. Oh, and Samuel L. Jackson. Can't and Kerry Washington and Leonardo oh, yeah. DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. So Jamie Foxx stars as a slave who is essentially freed by Christoph Waltz. And, and that's not a spoiler. <laughs> no, that's very early in the movie, so to speak. And it becomes a revenge film of... Basically, a slave 
exacting revenge on his slavers, more or less. When he's also trying to find his wife. Yes, yes. Who they was they were separated. Yes. There's a lot of historic detail in this film that you haven't seen in any other movie before about slavery. It is a wonderful mix of gleeful, entertaining violence and... Not the slave part. Brutal historic reality. That's where the slave part is. <laughs> I'm just, I want to clarify that we're not like maniacal white people that get off on that kind of crap. I, I will say that there's a very entertaining revenge on the Ku Klux Klan, and that was great. Oh, I about the KKK God, scene. that scene is fantastic. Yeah. And they get what they deserve. And yeah. then I'm going to stop talking. It's a little long, but it's a lot of fun. And I feel like it's more successful than Tarantino's other adventure into the West, The Hateful Eight. This is the better one. Yeah. All right. So enough of that. Number three is Cabin in the Woods. Produced by I Justin. love this one. I just mentioned we should watch it. Yeah. If you are a horror hound, if you are familiar with all the horror franchises and tropes and all those things, you are going to get a kick out of this film. And I don't know how you avoided seeing this movie at this point. I never heard anything about this film until you told me about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it was available for streaming on Netflix for the longest time. But I believe it's gone to the, the rent pile now. I cannot believe that you and I didn't see it together. Um, and we must have not been together or something quite at, at that point. But it's a lot of fun. It's brilliant. It engages and makes the audience implicit in a lot of the things that's happening in the movie. It's very meta. It is great. It is, I, I, I can't say enough about this movie. I think I'm going to watch it while Jeff's editing this podcast episode. <laughs> but if you're, you guys know me, if you're scared of scary horror things, it's okay. There's maybe one or two jump moments, but there's a lot more comedy and like Jeff said, meta-ness about this film. So I highly recommend it, even if you are like scared of stuff like this. Yeah, it's a great balance between the horror and the comedy. And uh, it's not like Dale and Tucker versus Evil, where it's really more comedy than horror. But it does a really great balance. And once the one hour mark hits, the shit hits the fan and it gets really it's exciting. so funny. Yeah. It's batshit crazy. Yeah. Okay. Number two is Looper. Now... This is a time movie. Time travel. A time travel movie. And it's starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a younger version of, get this, Bruce Willis. And he gets Bruce Willis's mannerisms. It's really quite fascinating to watch. This is directed by Ryan Johnson, who previously did the fun uh, con film... The Brothers Bloom, and he also did the high school noir film Brick, also starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, that's a good description. And he'll also be directing the upcoming Star Wars film, The Last Jedi. 
So he's a really smart, really clever director, and he does a really great job of world building in Looper, setting the rules of this underworld that that has harnessed the ability of time travel, which is outlawed, and figure out a way to to basically put out their hits and make the bodies disappear by sending them back in time. No body, no crime. Right. Emily Blunt also stars as a maternal figure of a child who plays a central figure in the story that I won't spoil. You, you know, it's not often that we come across sci-fi films that are really smart, very well constructed, but also has a certain leanness to them and, and that and that lacks bombacity and mm. um, an assaultment of the senses and Looper definitely satisfies that it, it's nice balance between action and intelligent sci-fi yeah they even acknowledge to the audience we're not going to talk about time travel <laughs> shit we're not going to talk about the science of it no we're going to carry on now yeah, which was nice, really good. The funny little sidestep. Anyway, so, all right, our number one favorite film of 2012 is, is Avengers. We talked a little bit about this movie in a previous episode that talked about our favorite superhero films. So, I think the only thing to really talk about regarding this movie is how well Joss Whedon was able to bring these different casts of characters together and mix them up the way that he does. This is a film that ends one phase in the Marvel franchise and really opens the door to the new phase where Iron Man ends up having PTSD and... Thor ends up dealing with a lot of stuff on Asgard and and we start getting introduced to other new characters. It's a lot of fun. It's an achievement. It was a blast at the theater. Shannon, do you have anything to add about your favorite movie? I think that this film is really sentimental to me because it was our first film in the movie house. That's not why it's at the top there. I mean, maybe just a little bit why it's at the top there, but it was a really good film. It was really fun. It really was full of action and Humor. there was comedy in there yeah. too, which Scarlett Johansson was really good at actually. <laughs> yeah. And then Thor was really fun as well. I, I get a kick out of his sense of humor. Oh, well, and come on, there's the Hulk too, who has a couple golden moments in the movie. I mean, I guess. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Oh, wait. That moment, it's yeah. in that one. Oh yeah. my god! And then his yeah. moment with Thor, which I want. If you haven't yes. seen it, we're not going to spoil it. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I want to watch that now. So I want to watch. <laughs> I want to watch Cabin in the Woods, Django Unchained, and then Avengers. I think that's a good combo. Awesome. <laughs> so those are our favorite movies of 2012. What are your favorite movies from that year? Email us at thegibsonreview@gmail.com. That about wraps it up for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, 
Where can people find you on the internet? I don't want you to find me. I'm kidding. <laughs> you can always reach out to me. I'm at www.shannapaxton.com. That's S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. Such a musical. Anyway, you can find all my social media channels through there, and then you can follow me if you want. Awesome. You can email again at thegibsonreview.com. You can go to thegibsonreview.com where you'll find other episodes of The Movie Lovers as well as past reviews and other articles and lists. You can also find on Facebook at The Gibson Review mini reviews and third-party articles. And you can find me on Flickchart at the Gibson 99 also, you'll be able to find episodes on iTunes. Woohoo! Find us there, subscribe, and even throw us a review. We really appreciate the constructive criticism. Be kind. The more reviews we get, the more visibility we get on iTunes. Therefore, more movie lovers are able to find us. So we definitely appreciate that. In our next episode, we will be highlighting and discussing female directors go female power and counting down our favorite movies directed by women until then this is shanna and jeff signing out keep loving the movies bye bye